0: What, what an awesome moment, right? I mean, we've got, we've got people all across the board that love people of all different ages and sizes and squirreliness levels. And that's a very, very cool thing. As we were talking about this, uh, this, uh, child uh, dedication, parent-child dedication and, and just highlighting, uh, our volunteers and children's ministries, it, it caused me to think about back in the day when I was 10 years old, which I'm 40 now. That seems like a really long time ago, but but when I think about those days, I can actually pull up some of the old feelings, some of the old events that went on, and uh, and you lo- I, I was pretty adorable, don't you think? Yeah, so people <laughs> you're shaking your head, no, you hurt my head, not really. And and I was thinking about this time uh, when I was I was ten, had to be right around age ten, and uh, I was a goofy kid. I was a goofy ten year old. I don't. I don't, I don't know, but is that normal? Are our, our most 10-year-olds, don't answer that question. We have some in here right now. We don't want to hurt them. But, but I was a really goofy 10-year-old, and I said it to my friend Jason this morning, and he said, you were goofy, or are you still, I'm, yeah, some of you are with me on that. And um, I was an only child, I think I've told you that before, and so my imagination was huge. I think this is true of like all only uh, childs children that they just have huge imaginations everything was a game for me everything was i concocted these massive things in my head and then had to figure out how to play them out with my star wars figures or with whatever creative game or, or whatever i was doing i i uh, around age 10 for whatever reason I really liked using words, like words, even if I didn't know what they meant, I wanted to use words to sound more like grown up or, um, I don't know, cool or whatever. I remember, I remember coming home, I went to a Christian school and I came home one day, I was after Sunday service actually, and I had been talking to my friends and I came home and I told my mom that Brandy had the hots for this guy. I didn't even know what that meant, but I just knew that, that my friend had said, and he was older, and so I was trying to be like, oh, I know stuff too. And my mom was like, "Oh!" because like, you couldn't say that back in 1980. And so, um, so I just, I liked using words that, that, I just, I found them fascinating. I don't know, I, again, I was goofy when I was 10. I, I remember this one time, this is the story I remembered, was when um, I was 10, and my dad was at work, and my mom, it was just my mom and I at home, and, uh, and I, was, uh, I was rhyming words. That's weird, right? I know, it's okay. I was rhyming words. Like, I had a word that I liked, and then I just started rhyming words with it. And the word that I had locked onto, for whatever reason, was the word duck. Yeah, I don't know. And so I was, I was walking around, like, following my mom around, and I'm like, duck, and truck, and, and talk, and, and muck. And I remember, I think it was irritating my mom. I remember this. And I don't know why that would irritate her if I'm following her around, rhyming words with the word duck. And some of you know probably where this is going. I didn't know. I was 10, and I'm just rhyming these words and following around. And I'm like, truck, and lock, and, and it came out came out. Did you ever see the movie um, A Christmas Story? Where those, those, those bolts go everywhere and it's like slow motion. It was slow motion. I remember that as clear as it was yesterday. It was slow motion. This word came out of my mouth. I didn't really intend to say. And, and my mom, it was slow motion. She turns to me and goes, ah! And it was the six words you never want to hear your mom say. Wait till your father gets home. Oh, I was doomed. (laughs) Wait till your dad gets home. She sent me to my room. And I want to pause that story right there because, because I really want to talk about this series that we're in right now called Life Locked from the book of Romans. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 3. This would be a great time to start finding where that is in your copy of the scripture as I just kind of remind us where we've been. Because that story has everything to do with where we're going today. And I hope everything to do with where we're going to land and, and, and where we started three weeks ago in this series called "Life Lock," this idea of preventing identity theft, we started three weeks ago in the book of uh, Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, we remember the story that, that Adam and Eve were created and they were perfect and then uh, they were there for some time and then eventually they do the one thing they're told not to do, they sin and they disobey God and, and they, they look at themselves and they, they realize that they're naked or another way to put that is they, they all of a sudden think that their identity is not okay. And so they go and they hide in a bush. And God shows up. Like, that was his habit every day, to show up and, and walk with them and talk with them in the cool of the day. And so God shows up and he asks this question, he says, where are you? And Adam and Eve are in this bush for, I, I don't know, minutes, hours, however long they're in there. And, and eventually they, they stand up and they say, well, we're, we're over here in this bush because, because we heard you and we knew that we were naked and we were ashamed and God looks him in the eye and says, "Who told you? Who, who told you you were, you were that way? Like that's not the identity that I put on you. Who, who told you that? And why, why did you believe him? And why are you now hiding in this bush when I created you to walk with me and talk with me? You're in a bush. And so we started there three weeks ago with this question, who told you? And so very often in our world today, it seems like we let voices or people or culture hijack our identity in Christ. And so we're looking in the book of Romans to see what is that identity. And last week, Pastor John opened up chapters one and two. And really, in chapter one, if we were to summarize it, we'd say that that the author of Romans says that we are saints. We are declared righteous. Righteous. That that we are saints. And and then we get to verse 18 in chapter 1. It breaks right between 17 to 18. And and 18 is this different concept that that in a relationship with Jesus, you're considered saints. But outside of a relationship with Jesus, you're considered these objects of wrath. Almost as if the author is asking the question, like, who will you listen to? Will Will you listen to Jesus and come to this relationship with him and be considered a saint and righteous? Or will you say, nope, I don't want that identity? And you'll be over here. And chapter 2 unpacks this whole idea of objects of wrath. And it says, quite honestly, it doesn't matter how religious you are or how spiritual you are or how beautiful you are or smart you are or funny you are, you are all in the same boat as objects of wrath outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we get down to the end of chapter 2, and I so appreciated John because last week I know he wanted to go to this week. But I get the privilege of talking about Something so, in my opinion, amazing truth of Scripture this week that will be so easy to explain. I will attempt to explain it in 30 seconds. Okay, that's a lie. Five minutes. So simple to explain it. But my fear is that we just don't believe it. I'll explain it. It's so simple. I'm going to say the word in a minute here, and you'll be like, oh, I know what that is, and you're tempted to check out for the rest of the morning. I've heard that. I know what that is. I'm all for that. I just don't think we believe it sometimes. Or maybe I'll say lots of Christians live their life not believing this reality. And my concern is that we walk out of here this morning, we've all mentally assented to this idea, but we don't don't believe it. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. Romans chapter 3. I I want to start us in verse 23, just kind of as a review of where we were last week, and just jump us right into where we're going. Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 23, it says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His justice." Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So that to be just, the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The word is justified. As in, we are justified in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are justified. Do we agree with that? I, I'm looking for head nods. Do we agree with that? I think, I think we agree with that. It's easy to assent to that idea if you've been around church at, at all. You've heard this, this concept that we are justified in this relationship with Jesus. Let me throw some definitions at you, just so we're on the same page. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines justified like this. It says, a process by which an individual is brought back into an unmerited right relationship with a person, whether that relationship is established between people or with God. What? Evangelical Dictionary of Theology puts it a little more simply. It says this, the basic fact of biblical religion is that God pardons and accepts believing sinners. Youth Pastor 101 would probably put it like this, justified, just as if I never sinned. I'll be honest, I kind of don't like that definition a little bit because sometimes it seems to cheapen what it costs to purchase justification. It wasn't just as if I never sinned, I did sin, and it was a big deal, it was incredibly expensive, it cost the, the the pain and suffering and death of Jesus in order to pay for that. So sometimes this definition makes me feel a little mm, inside, but it's a great way for our, us to wrap our heads around this reality that justified is this idea as if I've never sinned, like I don't have to pay the penalty for that sin anymore. I'm no longer responsible to pay that penalty. I'm now in right standing with God, not because of anything I've done or anything that I am, but because of everything that Jesus has done and everything in who he is. Are you with me? We are justified in a relationship with God. With God, And so the author of Romans, Paul, goes on in chapter 4, if you want to ta- uh, jump over there, in verse 1 to use an example of what this looks like. He's speaking to kind of a split audience. Half the church in Rome would have been Jewish by birth and ethnicity and early religious background, and at some point entered into, entered into this relationship with Jesus. And so he uses an example that they would have been very familiar with, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, What then shall we say? that Abraham, the forefather of us Jews, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, then he'd have something to boast about. But not before God. I mean, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so we kind of know the story of Abraham, some of us, that Abraham was was called to go, and he did. And then God told him that that he was going to be blessed, and he was and then God told him that he was going to bless nations, and he did. And so Abraham did these things, but the scripture is clear that that's not what bought him righteousness. That's not why he was declared righteous, not because of his doing, but because he believed. He believed what God said. He believed the identity that God laid out for him. he, He adapted that. He adopted that. He internalized that. That was him. And so then Paul goes on to talk about this more in chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. I feel like like we missed that. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace Peace with God. He's not my enemy. He's not against me. He's not out to get me. We, we've all been in a situation, right, whether it's uh, uh, at work or maybe at the gym or at a club you belong to, or maybe it's been family where you've been uh, in battle with someone, right, not at peace with someone, and you just don't want to show up to work or the gym or that club or that family reunion because you know there's drama. You know what that feels like? It hurts our stomach. It makes us feel sick. It affects our physical and Paul is so clear that is not where we are with we're at peace with God. We're not against each other. Like we're on the same team. This is this is huge. I'm all excited up here. I'm sorry. This is huge. We're at peace with God. Look at at chapter 5, verse 1. therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. No, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? We are at peace with God. Paul finishes this idea, caps it in chapter 8. I think he caps it in chapter 8, verse 31. I think at this point, as Paul is writing this, he's breaking pencils. He's just writing. He's so excited to share this idea. And this is what he says. starting in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? If God is for us, if we're at peace with God, if it's because of Christ that we are justified, and we don't pay the penalty of our sin, who on the planet can be against us? It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How? will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who can speak into your soul and attempt to change your identity by saying you are worthless or you are not okay or when you are alone in your room late at night and you know... I should stop. I know the things that I've done. And that voice plays in the back of my head. You're sinful. You are weak. You are worthless. Who can accuse you? No one. Who can then condemn us? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Jesus is standing next to God and when God looks at me, if somebody were to throw an accusation towards me, at him, Chris is this, Chris is that, Jesus is right there going, no, he's innocent. He's innocent. I justified him. It's a, no, that's, it's, he's innocent. Jesus is right there telling God that I'm innocent. What an amazing concept. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship Persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For neither angels nor demons, nor death nor life, neither present nor the future, nor powers, nor their height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's huge! And that's your identity. That God is for us, not against us, in a relationship with Christ. We are justified, declared righteous before God. Who can bring a charge against us? Nobody. Who can condemn me for my stupidity and my sin and my weakness? Nobody. It makes me think immediately of that story, that event in Jesus' life. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Do you remember this event? Some of you have heard this before. She's caught in the act of adultery almost like that situation was set up by these religious leaders to attempt to trap Jesus into something. They, they drag her from this, this bedroom and, and they drag her through town. I, I get this picture in my head as I picture that she's wrapped in a bed sheet and these men are dragging her and they, they come down the front of, of the church into it and they throw her down at the feet of Jesus as he's teaching and they go, they go Rabbi, this, this lady was caught in the act and Moses is clear. Moses is clear and we stone someone like that. What do you say? Remember the event? Jesus kind of bends down. He starts writing. We don't, we don't know what he wrote. That's frustrating to me, by the way. We don't know what he wrote. But whatever he wrote, the event tells us that the men that had gathered with these boulders to condemn this woman to death, they began to drop their rocks and walk away the oldest first. That says something. All the way down to the youngest guy in that room. Leave. Jesus is riding in the sand. And he gets very quiet. And he looks at the woman and he says, is there nobody left here to condemn you? I think she looks up, tear-filled eyes, wrapped in a sheet, and she says, nobody. And Jesus says those words. Well, I don't condemn you either. Go and leave your life of sin. I don't, I don't condemn you either. In a relationship with Jesus, we are justified. The penalty of our sin is paid for. Jesus stands next to God and declares me innocent and nothing separates me from that. We might call this justification Christ's active love. When the Bible tells us that Jesus loves us, this is not a warm, fuzzy feeling like, oh, I love my kitty. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling that Jesus has for us. It is an active thing that Jesus declares me justified, his active love. What an amazing thing, right? So I was 10, and this this word just came out of my mouth, slow motion. Mom says, wait till your dad gets home. And so I did. I went to my room, and I waited, and uh, I, I, um, I'll admit it, I, I took magazines and stuffed them down the back of my pants. Like, my parents would notice that, you know, it was two inches thicker back there, and my butt was shaped like a rectangle square. Now, um, in my home, the, the wait for your dad meant that you were going to get about, that's how my parents handled it. And so I did. I waited in my room, and I cried. <laughs> And I waited, and I cried, and I waited, and I heard my dad pull up in the car. And I, was, I was doomed. I, I paid the penalty of my sin that day. And, and what, I'm, what I'm afraid of is that a lot of Christ followers live their life waiting. Wait, waiting for God to get home. Punish them. What a sad and foolish way to live because Jesus lays a very different identity on me. And inside of a relationship with Jesus, a very different identity on you. There's no waiting for Dad to get home to punish me, there's no hiding in a bush because of some identity I've decided to put on myself or the world has put on me. Satan absolutely loves when we hide in rooms. Hide behind bushes. He loves ineffective, small Christ followers. No threat to him whatsoever. And sometimes, sometimes, we buy into this identity where Jesus has said, I have justified you and nothing can separate you from that. And who can accuse you? Nobody. And who can condemn you? Nobody. Because I've paid the penalty for that sin. That does that mean that we can just sin and it's okay and it's no big deal. Not at all. And Paul goes on to talk about that more. And this amazing opportunity that God creates that we call confession and repentance that repairs the relationship between me and God when I, when I choose to sin now because this is a choice I get to make. When I choose to sin, there's a way to repair that relationship. But we never have to pay the penalty. I never have to wait for Dad to get home and punish me. And yet so often we live as if that's the case. So maybe today the call is, is, uh, is for us to step into that identity that Jesus lays on us. The we that we really are. the Who I am, really who I am. Not to let somebody else hijack my identity, speak voices into my head that's just simply not true, but enter into the reality that I stand before God as Justified. And so we're going to close out this morning. We're going to worship together. And I just got to be honest. If this reality that I stand justified before God in a relationship with Jesus, that you stand justified before God in a relationship with Jesus, if that doesn't get us on our feet and worshiping with all that we are, passionate and excited, I don't know what else will, man. (laughs) Because this is huge that we are at peace with God. If God is for us, who can be against us? that I can challenge us this morning. Let's stand to our feet. Worship that out in all its truth.